In the information age, data is the new oil. Amazon Kinesis on Amazon Web Services is a powerful new way to easily collect, process, and analyze streaming data so you can get timely insights and react quickly to new information. Learn more at kinesis.aws. This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as Arya Stark of Silicon Valley, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the Red Chair, we have two fantastic guests, Chris Keeney and John Danner. They're the authors of a new book called Built for Growth, How Builder Personality Shapes Your Business, Your Team, and Your Ability to Win. Chris is the co-founder and managing partner of Rosemark Capital, an investment fund based in Princeton, New Jersey. And John is a senior fellow at Berkeley's Haas Business School in the Lester Center for Entrepreneurship. Chris and John, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Um, so I know Chris for a long time. We grew up together. But I was fascinated that you wrote this book on entrepreneurship, which is just what I cover, which is fantastic. I want you both to sort of talk about how you got to do it. Now, let me start with you, Chris. You had a, a business career. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go from, as they call it in marketing services, the client side, working for 10 years at Johnson & Johnson, to then start a so company you called- Yes, exactly. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm the guy who put the decorations on Band-Aids. That's a very exciting yes, that legacy was my, for you and my, your children. Exactly, okay. my claim to fame. Okay. And then I was lucky enough to start a firm called Rosetta, mm-hmm. and I always pause and say, no, not the language company. Actually, one larger, but one much less well-known. And Rosetta built uh, was built to become uh, ultimately the largest privately held digital marketing agency in the world. And we sold it to the publicist group about six years ago mm-hmm. for a little less than $600 million. And so after I went through that experience, I thought it would be fun to teach. As you may remember, my mm-hmm. dad was an economics professor. And mm-hmm. so I was fortunate to be asked to teach entrepreneurship at Princeton, which mm-hmm. is where I met John. Mm-hmm. And so you had been an entrepreneur. You had obviously created things first. You did the corporate thing. Uh, it's interesting. I was at a we were at an event this week uh, with Vinod Kosla, a, a well-known venture capitalist, and he said if you work for a corporation, I think from HP or Cisco for more than fifteen years, you can't do startups. It was a really interesting thing. But you made a shift. Over. Yeah, I I can see that. I think there's a period of time, maybe eight to ten years, where you actually learn a lot of the disciplines and structured way to think about things. But then you really have to get out. Mm-hmm. Consulting is the same way. Great tool set, but you got to get out before get they. Out. Yeah. Okay. And John, how did you come to this? So topic? we, Chris and I met because uh, I get a chance to teach both at the business school at Berkeley and also I teach at Princeton every fall mm-hmm. uh, as a visiting professor in, in entrepreneurship. My interest in entrepreneurship goes back uh, all the way to my college years uh, at Harvard. A couple of friends of mine and I started a business that did market research and foreign language translation and that kind wow. of gave me the bug 
mm -hmm. to do this. Uh, and over the years, I have both started businesses and helped companies start businesses, some of which have succeeded, some of which have not so, mm -hmm. but have always been fascinated about entrepreneurship as really the key to driving economic opportunity and progress uh, around the world, really. And you teach at Berkeley. Well, Stanford is the one known for, like, creating entrepreneurs. What, what school was that? Stanford. Uh, oh, yeah, oh Stanford. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it's got a well, little bit of property. It, it, as, as good a school as Stanford is, uh, we think we give them a run for their money uh, at, at Berkeley. But you're at the you're at the program. cradle of what people consider the most entrepreneurial region right now in the history in in historical terms. I think that's true. Although there are obviously predecessors sure. going all the way back to the Renaissance. Absolutely, or way back did. before yeah, that. Exactly. I had yeah. Eric Weiner, Weiner, or whatever. He was he was he did the geography of happiness and he did the geography essentially sure. of innovation. And he was talking about how innovative cultures fail, really get, get are created, and then how they when you see the signs for them. There's quite a few signs right now here. We'll talk about that in Silicon Valley of bad. Of negativity right now. <laughs> yeah, so I got uh, I got interested in this. I did a book a couple of years ago called The Other F Word on mm -hmm. how smart entrepreneurs, teams, and leaders put failure to work. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, the failure, the, love of failure. And, and the irony of all that for a lot of people is that if you really want growth and innovation and an engaged workforce, you've got to deal with failure. Mm -hmm. So having written a book on failure, when Chris and I met one another after the, the semester at Princeton a couple of years ago, and he mentioned he was interested in doing a book on growth. I said, that's the perfect compliment because growth is the engine that people are trying to ride and drive. Right, right. But your book was on failure. Like, you didn't coin the term pivot because I'll have to throw you out. No, if that's no, the no. Case. no, 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 no. Uh, in some ways, actually, uh, I prefer the term rivet to pivot. Oh, rivet. I think, because I think a lot of times it takes tenacity. I see. Rather than oh, well done. With, oh, my God. No wonder you're a professor. I mean, I, 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 I hate all those words. But <laughs> I, I just like saying I failed. It's fine. So you guys, how did you set up to do this book? Because there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of, I get, like, I have a, dozens on my shelf, like what the, the secret sauce is. And we're going to talk about why that's treated that way later. What, how did you decide, why was this the focus, Chris? Well, well, what each of us teaches at Princeton is really kind of how to be an entrepreneur, the mm -hmm. mechanics of being an entrepreneur. And we were sitting at the faculty club at Princeton after a long semester, and we were thinking about the fact that there's so much written about how you actually build a company, mm -hmm. but not who builds them. Mm -hmm. And as we went back and forth, we realized that that nexus of how and who mm -hmm. is really untrodden territory mm -hmm. and may be worthy of a book. So we mm -hmm. started to do some research on the question. On, on the people that do it, not the techniques. The people it. and the nexus. So uh, we, as we got into it, we realized that who you are actually shapes how you build your how company. How you should be. So you could, you well, could come an entrepreneur. You, you don't have to be a certain type, in other words. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of research out there that separates entrepreneurs from non-entrepreneurs. We think that's a lot of hooey. Mm -hmm. We think anybody can be an entrepreneur. And our study was actually focused on the most successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And there's also an assumption that all the successful entrepreneurs are the same. They're all mm -hmm. like Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. And we went out and proved that actually there are four distinct types mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So who you are shapes how you build. And who you are then defines all the key things that it takes to actually build a successful okay. business. We're going to get into the specifics of this book, but let's talk about entrepreneurship in general, the, the, the sort of, what is it, the celebration of it. I don't know what it is, and yet how it's kept away from most people. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that it's some sort of rarefied endeavor in life. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you look at the essence of it, I, I'm always drawn to the definition that the uh, professor at Harvard Business School gave a number of years ago, Howard Stevenson. 
Uh, and he defined entrepreneurship as the pursuit of opportunity beyond the resources you control. Mm -hmm. Now, if you start with that definition, that applies to most jobs, most organizations, whether they're starting up or already established, because you're always trying to create something that hasn't been done before, mm -hmm. and you rarely have all the resources, people, dollars, time, space, customers, whatever it may be, that you need to be able to make that future happen. So when you start with that lens, you start with a more democratic approach to right, which is not. It's not. It's that you're special. Talk a little bit about how it got that way. The sort of Jesus as entrepreneur. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> well, I think, the savior. Well, yeah. Like I, right I, now, I've been <coughs> dealing with you know the Uber CEO thing, which is he's a clearly entrepreneurial person in charge, and they're all of course turning to Cheryl, not just because of her gender. All that has part to do is like she can say she's the only one who can fix this thing, or you know we need a type like that, and I'm like. It seems somewhat limited mm. in thinking. It's, it's, it's a broader issue, obviously. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't have the answer for it. But well, how did that create the idea of the Jesus entrepreneur? Well, I think, I think a perspective on it, it it's, it's a quintessentially American hero worship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a desire to sort of find an icon uh, who's done great things above and beyond what most and of us struggled are along the That's way. right. It's all the it's all the you know the, as we say there there are books about entrepreneurship and books about the people who are entrepreneurs, but those are kind of the who's who of entrepreneurship. What you miss is the everyday shapers and builders of small and medium enterprises who mm -hmm. create the jobs that drive the economy. Uh, but the idea that the media uh, draws itself to the iconic entrepreneurs. And so do the people, too. Rein yeah, reinforces this notion that somehow or another you have to be extraordinarily unique to be mm -hmm. successful. And right. one of the things that drew Chris and I into this book is to explore that fundamental assumption. And lo and behold, yes, there are these four quite different types that we'll mm -hmm. get into a little bit later, but also the characteristics of those four types are shared by millions of men and women. And each uh, one requires a different tool set to be yeah, each one, each one approaches the same, what we call the growth dynamics. Those are the same, whether you, what type you are, what business you mm -hmm. are, what industry you are. I mean, you all have to create... Uh, go from an idea to a solution. You have to figure out how to galvanize a team basics, out of right. individuals. You have to figure out a way to transform your customers into partners, etc. But how you do that mm -hmm. is fundamentally different by the personality of the founder or the builder at the center of, the, of that process. Right. And so, Chris, what do you think about this uh, savior concept? Because it really is. It's not just the media that does it. It's everyone here. We had a, we had Elon Musk at Code several times, and. The first time, I literally all the men walked out like they had the biggest man crush in the world. It was like it was a, it was like a it was fascinating to watch. They were yeah. like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Like yeah. it was sort of this. If only I was like him, and yeah. it was. And I was like, "That's a." Believe me, I knew him when he wasn't. He was weird as you are right now, and <laughs> so it was. It was an interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. They either have to have a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg or whoever, and it's usually a white man, typically um, in Silicon Valley, at least. Why do you think that is? Well, I think we we search for these simple answers to very complex questions. Mm -hmm. And so we are a culture in America of hero worship, whether mm -hmm. you're an athlete, a politician, a business person, a musician. We elevate people to these artificially high uh, sense of perfection. And, and the people you were just rolling through are very interesting because we, we put Jessica Alba up mm -hmm. there as one of the icons, mm -hmm. not the same type as mm -hmm. you as you no. were describing of, as Elon and, and Jobs. But the, the, the overarching insight here is that you don't have to be like them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be white. And you don't have to be hard driving like they Right, are. but it does create a sort of prison in Silicon Valley. You know what I mean? Like, and here we are now with all these diversity issues. I mean, it just, it literally plays out. And it's a very bright line that I can see between those two. And then they become, 
they become in the, the people we worship and then they get to indulge like and be misbehave self-reinforcing yeah absolutely yeah. it creates a really strange dynamic that leaves everybody out and and i think to the detriment of silicon valley for example well i think that's i think that may well be true the silicon valley is just one instantiation of an sure. entrepreneurial but culture. right now it is right now it's got the center stage right. um Route 128 obviously had it many years ago. For Research Triangle Park has it. Yeah. You know, Austin, Austin, Texas has it. You yeah, know, but nothing. No... I mean, I, they do that Silicon Prairie. Sure, sil- like, sure, sure, stop. sure. Like, yeah, it's, it's here. And my own attitude when I talk with when I talk with with people around the world about this issue, uh, I say, look, culture is the king here. Mm-hmm. Uh, culture, whatever structure you put in, whatever environment you're trying to create to promote entrepreneurship, it's got to reflect the local culture that you're in. Mm-hmm. And to try to export Silicon Valley will not work. Right. Uh, there are some unique characteristics here around proximity of universities and the like, but uh, there are other resources that other regions in the world can adapt and to their own purposes. Right. And who knows, the future's uh, there to be claimed by well, somebody other than Silicon Valley. We're going to talk about that, but what does the Silicon Valley look like to you, right? Because we have a Silicon Valley audience, Chris. What is it? What is this culture to you at this moment? And is it in, in any kind of danger of well, I, I eating don't know itself if it's, alive? I think it's at a, at a key inflection point um, uh, and will evolve into something that will Uh, have some similarities to today, but hopefully become more democratic. Hopefully uh, investors will begin to identify some of these characteristics, these megalomaniacal uh, characteristics earlier on and Mm -hmm. say, right idea, wrong leader, Mm -hmm. and start to insert leaders that are much broader in their skill base. And and we believe that these distinct personalities will actually start to play out in a much greater, greater way. Because there is so much magic here. I get the luxury of teaching on the East Coast and investing on the West Coast. And Mm -hmm. there is a lot to like. We can't throw the baby out with the Mm bathwater. There's an inventiveness. There's an openness. There's just a a belief that anything is possible. Unfortunately, what came hand in hand with that is a male, egotistical, uh, we have this term we call product narcissism, where mm-hmm. people actually become so in love with their product that they see it as, as a, an extension of mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, I just call and, it assholes, but go ahead. <laughs> I like that. I like your term. <laughs> well, hopefully, like narcissists, they'll fall into the, to yeah, the pond. Yeah, we know drown. how that turned out. Yeah. My it, shorthand on that <laughs> yeah. is that, is that uh, the nice thing about when you look at Silicon Valley, it's a demonstration of the fact that entre is the mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this is a f- this is a setting in which creative collisions can occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you'd entre like to think is after mantra. You, this is great. You'd yeah. like to think that after the fact, strategy was all at play. But when you really peel the on- onion apart and find out how did these ventures get started, how did the people find one another, how did the how did the mm-hmm. investor find the find mm-hmm. the builder. It's mostly that serendipity trumps strategy. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you've got to basically create an environment in which entre can happen. People have to do things with other people. So here, it's, it's the collision of money, lots ideas, of talent. Ideas, talent, uh, and, and proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the people challenges. People forget analog. Yeah, people, people uh, you know, when you can run into somebody at a coffee shop or your kids are on the same soccer field or what, whatever the connection is, it's those casual collisions of creative mm-hmm. people that I think can spark the kind of innovative spirit that the rest of the world's looking for, mm-hmm. and that and that for a while at least Silicon Valley has been able to bottle. Where do you assess it right now? And then in the next section, we're talk about the book itself. And what um, it's at the heyday of hubris, mm-hmm. perhaps looking for a little humility. Mm-hmm. 
and whether or not it arrives at that by its own choice or is forced to take a more humble approach to the future because others have begun to adapt their own solution Mm -hmm. that is not predicated on as much uh, high-tech ventures as as other kinds of ventures because right. most ventures aren't high right tech they ventures. are that's a very good they're point service to make. businesses absolutely yeah. and if, we, if it's jobs that you're concerned about and economic development much less the equity of how economic development sure. is spread silicon valley is not the answer for that no and we're going to talk about the responsibility silicon valley has when we get back we're here with chris keeney and john danner talking about their new book called built for growth Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can listen to all of that wherever you are, thanks to Audible's free apps for iOS, Android, and Amazon devices. It's not a streaming or rental service. With Audible, you own your books. Chris and John, what book should I listen to next? Chris, you first. Oh, I'm loving Michael Lewis's book about Daniel Kahneman. It's yeah, isn't just, it great? It, well, it's John and I have been living this experience. It's two guys who work very closely yeah, together. Bromance, yeah. And they talk about tapping a single mind mm-hmm. to create what became ultimately the Nobel Prize winning piece of research. Right. And I also love the fact that they're psychologists who won the Nobel Prize right. in economics. Right. And uh, being someone who's fascinated with the application of one discipline to another area. So it's just fascinating. It's so, I mean, Michael Lewis is a he's total great. stud. He's a friend of mine. Fantastic. He's great. He's really fantastic. What about you? Behave. Behave? What Behave. Is that? by Sapolsky, a Stanford professor, um, Mm -hmm. who has written just a fabulously fascinating book on why human beings do do so good and so bad, and what the underpinnings are from hormones, from genes, uh, et cetera, in a way that is masterful and and fascinating. Fantastic. Those are both fantastic selections. When you become an Audible member, you get a free book every month, plus a 30% discount on all regularly priced books. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash D-E-C-O-D-E. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara, I talked to Jack Conti. He's the CEO of Patreon.com. That's the company that's going to provide $150 million or so to podcasters and singers and songwriters and movie makers. And he's also making money doing it. It's a really interesting chat. You will like it. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Chris Keeney and John Danner. They're the authors of a new book called Built for Growth, How Builder Personality Shapes Your Business, Your Team, and Your Ability to Win. So let's talk about the book in particular. You, you were talking about that entrepreneurs don't have to be of a certain genotype or the way they are, which Silicon Valley has an image of them, and they, they look like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or, or Mark Zuckerberg. Talk a little bit about what you found in your book. Why don't you start, uh, John? So, as, as Chris mentioned earlier, there are other works out there that help you try to decide whether or not you might be cut out to be an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. if I use the marathon example, um, those are books and, and tools that help you decide whether you might you want to consider running in a marathon. Right. We focused on the winners uh, mm-hmm. of the marathon. We thought it would be helpful for people to understand what makes those women and men tick. Mm-hmm. We uh, developed a, and applied a methodology that Chris had, had refined and patented in his business uh, at Rosetta. And lo and behold, when we went out uh, with, the, with our interview and surveys, we detected four very different types of what we call business builders. Mm-hmm. 
Each of them differ by motivation. Why are they an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. How they make decisions, whether they're fact-based or more more intuitively, uh, how they lead and how they manage. And lo and behold, when you look at that population, uh, it sorts into these four types. There's the driver, uh, and the examples that you use would almost all be Mm -hmm. drivers, right? Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Musk, et cetera. These are folks that are absolutely fixated by the product that they believe in, uh, the the product that they are bringing to market. Uh, And that tends to fix in the public mind, but that's just one of the Mm -hmm. doors to entrepreneurial success. The second is what we call explorers. These are people that are fascinated by complex puzzles uh, that have some commercial significance. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're drawn, they're systems thinkers uh, by background, by instinct, uh, and they they bring to market a a different kind of solution uh, born of a different way of thinking. These folks are highly analytical. Yeah, and the the other two, the drivers and and explorers. And And then the crusader is someone who's drawn into entrepreneurship by some sense of mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact... That's different from a driver. Completely different, completely. In fact, we like to say that the crusader is almost like the accidental entrepreneur. He or mm-hmm. she is drawn to solve a social problem in many mm-hmm. cases. Sometimes it's a market problem. Uh, and a business grew up around it. So mm-hmm. Jessica Alba is a great example mm-hmm. of a crusader. Right? She was pregnant. She was concerned about uh, finding hypoallergenic products and bang. Or now she's soul cycle entrepreneur. Yeah, soul cycle is another good example. Uh, ben and Jerry, where I happen oh, yeah. to spend the summer, are a wonderful example, right? It just so happens that they sell ice cream. They're really mm-hmm. about social activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the captain, the captain is motivated by the tapping the inner productivity of the team, fascinated mm-hmm. by how to get the right people in the right seats, motivated with clear, clear uh, objectives uh, and a clear vision. Uh, and examples of captains, uh, one of our favorite is a woman named June Ressler. June, June runs a, a uh, believe it or not, an oil services business in mm-hmm. Houston. Mm-hmm. And it's all about hiring the right people and then putting them out on the rigs with the right kind of focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Crowley's another terrific example of a captain. Uh, he has started a biotech firm called Amicus. Uh, and was uh, there was a movie made about him because he created a biotech uh, solution to save his children's lives from uh, Pompeii disease. Mm. So we're seeing. Would he be a crusader? It, well, he 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 was mission driven, but actually um, uh, really motivated to bring the right kind of talent together to solve the problem. So bring the right scientists with the right investors, and so it was really a harmonization of how to solve the problem and how to fund the problem mm-hmm. all through through his leadership. And you were using the book to try to get people to put themselves into the, they, they used to use that, that test in tech all the time. What and, was it? Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs, yeah. that was like, when they went yeah. crazy for that for a while. Sure. I remember, see, it was a big part of my book on AOL because they mm-hmm. all, that's how we hired people by their Myers-Briggs scores. Yeah. And, so so was Myers- that, XTPL or yeah. yeah, ENTJ, whatever. that's what you are. But, but, why, but why sort them? What, yeah. What's the concept, John? Well, let's go all the way back. I mean, this is a know thyself. Um, mm-hmm. This is a lens to mm-hmm. begin to understand who you might be and why you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gives you a, 
a lens into your own self so that you can be more self-aware and the people who work with you can perhaps mm-hmm. better understand why you do the things you do the way you do them so that they can figure out a way to collaborate more effectively with you or if it's an investor mm-hmm. uh, how investors might begin to figure out mm-hmm. uh, the right fit I mean you're familiar with product market fit sure. and all that Absolutely. just imagine that if, from our point of view the most important fit is the fit between the builder at the center of the entrepreneurial process mm-hmm. and the other resources that she whether or it be he investors needs. Exactly, because we've seen too many examples of the misfit that happens. Mm. In many cases, because people have not stopped and and said, who are we really dealing with? Who am I as a builder? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's that's the value that we think our book can bring. Let's go through the two, the first two you mentioned. Mm -hmm. The first one would be the driver, Mm -hmm. which is the Steve Jobs, Elon Mm -hmm. Musk kind of personality. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was the... The Explorer. Explorer. So who would that be? Think think Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff Bezos is is very much a systems kind of guy. I Mm -hmm. mean, he's... He's not somebody to necessarily fall in love with the, with the current business that he's in. Mm-hmm. He's constantly figuring out how to how to sort and slice and dice, mm-hmm. uh, not just the front lines business, but the behind the well, scenes. And he could business. fit into other ones too. Absolutely, and and yeah. and to some extent, this is a matter of, of tone and and, right. and coloration. Um, right. We're putting the prototypes out of the four, but it's possible to have elements of, of, elements of some of or all. the other. And so, and so what are the what are the great assets of the first two, and then Chris can do them. Well, the, the, the biggest asset of the first one uh, is really that product market fit is the domain of right. this kind of person, if they're right, if mm-hmm. they're right, because they believe so intensely, that's why we use the term fixated, mm-hmm. by their product or this notion of product narcissism. Mm-hmm. If they're right, they have the kind of tenacity, that kind of riveting capability that I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. to basically overcome the obstacles, overcome the risks, the doubters, and bring something to market. And that's mm-hmm. why Jobs is such a great example yeah, uh, really of that. But there are others as well. Steve Brightman. Uh, who's a guy that built an empire around coin-operated laundries in New York City, mm-hmm. has the same kinds of characteristics. He loves uh, the coin-operated laundry. And you can imagine having tens of right. thousands of machines cranking out $5 in cash every time. No, I get, but he loves it. machines. That's his thing. His, okay. he, he, wants, mm-hmm. he, he calls his business Laundry Solutions. It's, oh, it's wow. Sebco Laundry Solutions. So he loves talking laundry. And, and that's, one of the, that's one of the beauties of this, is that you can take the same personality and see the com- similarities in completely different different businesses, yeah. inside, outside, Yeah, Silicon I once Valley. did a profile of a guy who loved bowling, his bowling alleys, and he, all he did was talk about bowling, bowling, bowling issues. And, and undoubtedly kept you on pins and it needles. Was, oh, so my was, God, I walked right into that, that one. one. <laughs> oh, good God. So, losing here with you and all your phraseology. Um, so, so explorer. So what does an explorer bring? Yeah. Uh, an explorer So what is bring, the negativity toward, around a driver? Oh. Um, Jackasses would be my Well, guess. you know, let, let's let's look at, uh, at Kalanick mm-hmm. um, or some of the issues Which that Steve Jobs. Is there a separate category for them? Driver, and drivers tend to have problems. Uh, people working with drivers have a hard time sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to not brook too much dissent. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to expect Silo. the same level of intensity from the people around them. Mm-hmm. They tend to value uh, talents very much like themselves, so they're hiring mini-me's when, in mm-hmm. fact, they need to be hiring a broader, more diverse set of folks. Right. And as the business scales, as the business scales, you have to be able to move from self to system. You have to be able to get yep. beyond yourself yep. and yet And most companies do sooner than Uber had. That's right. Um, so, and, and by the way, you know, drivers are not unique in having weaknesses. All four mm-hmm. of these types have right. strengths well, and weaknesses. Well, I want to know about but, each but, that's the, but that's, that's the, the drivers. That's the drivers. That they, don't, that they create little mini-me's. You're absolutely right. That uh, happens and, every time. And for explorers, it's a, it's a different issue. Uh, explorers have that kind of analytical capability that's really quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian O'Kelly, the guy who founded AppNexus, is an example. Mm-hmm. 
Bezos, as I talk about, uh, is another example. Uh, and and uh, we think probably somebody like Mark Benioff uh, mm-hmm. from Salesforce would be yet another example here. Where do they where do they sometimes struggle? They sometimes struggle because they start to view the other resources around them, specifically people, as inputs into an equation in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you tend to lose the human element sometimes in the cultures that they need and surround themselves mm-hmm. with. Um, and each of, whether it's a driver or an explorer, have to figure out how to navigate between the weaknesses that can compromise their ability to scale the business mm-hmm. and yet accentuate the strengths that they have, which are quite extraordinary. So you're talking about an EQ, an emotional quotient. Right? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's not just the emotional. It's, it's almost the self-awareness quotient right. Um, right. as well. It's emotional and analytical at the same Interesting, time. Interesting, though, Benioff is very funny. He's a very oh, Jeff Bezos is not funny. Yes. <laughs> he thinks he's funny, but he's not funny. That laugh, you got to be funny. It's right? not funny at all. But, but <laughs> yeah, so, the, so the, the Crusader, as we said, builds the business around this sense of mission. So what they're exquisitely— That's a problem. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about what's good about them. Yeah, what's exquisitely good about the Crusader is he or she finds these lack of alignment inside ecosystems mm-hmm. uh, and is able to listen really well to the customer and to suppliers and actually— uh, create value. One of our favorite crusaders, a guy named Nate Morris, who has, pardon the earlier reference, uh, is uh, actually created the Uber of garbage collection. He mm-hmm. graduated with a master's degree from Woodrow Wilson School of Princeton and actually figured out how to align garbage collect- collecting uh, companies, sub- subcontractors, to serve some of the biggest customers in America, Walmart and others. Uh, and now has a business worth over a billion dollars because mm-hmm. he has been able to align the idea of collecting garbage, separating garbage out for greater mm-hmm. uh, waste stream management into uh, ultimately better uh, recycling proportions. So, so it's something that matters. So, so What's matters the negative deeply. side to that? Yeah. Is that you so, run out of steam, so, right? Well, um, and, and because they fly at such a high level of abstraction, they mm-hmm. love the idea and its solution, they're not very good operationally. So it's very important uh, that a crusader team up with as a co-founder have a very strong chief operating officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so you've got a sense of mission and then ultimately a sense of the operation. And that pairing mm-hmm. can be very so helpful. So the mission becomes too important rather than setting up the systems. Exactly you, right. You, yeah. have to, you have to balance the vision with the supervision, basically, right. as you yep. scale the business. Yeah. And then, and then the captain uh, is a more kind of pragmatic, solving the problem in front of him or her. Mm-hmm. Exquisite, though, in choosing people, deploying people, getting them good. in exactly the right spot. It's amazing. And sometimes people mistake the captain for being compassionate. The captain mm-hmm. is actually pretty calculating and putting you in the right job, and mm-hmm. if you don't don't do a good job, you're out of there. Mm-hmm. So very demanding, but demanding in a supportive and very clear way, unlike the driver who who's expects, capricious, right? who's yeah. capricious and expects you to actually execute exactly like he or she does. Right, right, which is, what is the downside of a captain? Well, the captain sometimes- That sounds like someone you bring in when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Yes, yes, in fact, a captain uh, at Uber might make some sense. Yeah. Oh, they don't think it's inspiring enough. I just was dealing with some of them today. Oh, is that right? We need someone inspiring. I'm like, you've had enough fucking inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> like, a little bit of adult Well, behavior. captains inspire people, though, mm-hmm. right? They may not be idea-centered, but they're very, mm-hmm. very, ins- very, ins- very inspiring to, to people. Um, you just asked the question about what's the downside yeah. to the captain. The captain 
uh, sometimes over-delegates, empowers the team to such a degree that he or she can actually lose touch with the fabric of what's going on in the marketplace um, because they've delegated so much. So what do you have to shift when you're, you were talking about shifting, the concept is when when you're each of these people, you've got to accommodate for that part of your personality. So if you're a driver personality, I assume you have to get some level of compassion in. Yeah, one of the best quotes we had in our interviews uh, came from Paul Mader, the former chairman of the National Venture Capital Association. He basically, to paraphrase it, he said, look, I'm in the business of investing in people and careers uh, and personalities, everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't care whether you're a driver, an explorer, a crusader, or a captain, just be the best damn one of those you Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And that takes us into one of two strategies that Chris and I lay out in the book. One is what we call the expert builder. In Mm -hmm. other words, it's all about going after your strengths. If I'm great at product, that's where I want to stay and Mm -hmm. delegate, elevate my strengths, delegate around my weaknesses, and let me just be what I am best at. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom to that approach. But there's another approach, too, that we've nicknamed the, the master builder. And the master builder is really, to use an athletic uh, analogy, the, the master builder is more like the decathlete uh, or mm-hmm. the swimmer who has the medley, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yes, they're great in the backstroke, but they've also learned to master the right. crawl or whatever. So they've gotten all these and, skills. And, and in that sense, they can expand the repertoire. They don't become a different person. Mm-hmm. They just become a more fluent and flexible and versatile version. Who's of a version of well, I think uh, you could look at, let me just think, um, in terms of a master builder. We, we think John, John Crowley, Crowley would be, John yeah, Crowley would John, be a good one. Yeah, John, John really became, started out as a captain, but because he was him. such a student of the game, this is he's really company? taken. This is Amicus. Amicus. He, he's, he's running a biotech firm right now, and he started out as an empowering mm-hmm. team uh, team leader, uh, but has actually taken on many of the qualities of the other, mm-hmm. other leaders. And we think the most mature and advanced entrepreneurs or builders actually do this. And as John said, you have your homeroom, that is that sort of how you're wired. Mm -hmm. But then if you're really a student of the game and you think hard about your own weaknesses, you then begin to... You try to to do that, which most people don't, which they don't get to. Well, and this goes back to your comment earlier about the sort of megalomania of Mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur and this Mm -hmm. self-perpetuating, you know, you are a megalomaniac, the community and the world reinforces that. And so one of the things we hope comes out of our book is people... Uh, doing exactly as Socrates suggested, know thyself. Really, yeah, but th- which is a real problem at tech right now. Honestly, it, it's yeah. fascinating. It may be the core. It may be the core problem. Really, yeah, from a like I had no idea. If I hear I had no idea one more time about the sexual harassment, I'm gonna yeah. like punch someone. I, well, like, I don't know how you didn't. Like, yeah. it's it's the difference between seeing your seeing yourself as something that as someone that everybody's looking through the window and you're smiling and you're on stage, mm-hmm. as opposed to really understanding what's the mirror side of that. What who are you really? Mm-hmm. I was going to suggest. Maybe Mark Benioff is another example of somebody who's a, who's a master builder in the yeah. sense that he's you follow the trajectory of trying. his career and, and what he's doing differently today than what he was doing 15 or 20 years ago. Um, he's clearly on a, on a oh, path to broaden uh, to yeah. broaden his repertoire. He's 36% less blowhardy. Sure. <laughs> Although still right up there, Mark. You know, I love you. Um, so in the next section, I want to talk about where it goes, where entrepreneurism goes, because I think it's under a very big shift right now with, with people becoming more. Uh, we're here with Chris Keeney and John Danner. We're talking about their book, and we will talk more about it when we get back. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. 
The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further. And you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. This show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, more than 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. One more time to try it for the low, low price of free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. We're here with Chris Keeney and John Danner, authors of the new book called Built for Growth, How Builder Personality Shapes Your Business, Your Team, and Your Ability to Win. Before we get to sort of the larger picture of entrepreneurship, is there any kind of personality that doesn't work? Hmm. That doesn't work. What is what is the well, sort of yeah, killer I, of I, entrepreneurship? I would say that there are some attributes that most entrepreneurs hold. Okay. Um, and this would be this common this sense. In fact, there's a great book called Strengths Finders that actually has identified these things that we all know intuitively. Mm-hmm. Are you a risk taker? Do you work really hard? Do you have a level of tenacity? These are not distinguishing characteristics. Mm-hmm. These, are these are characters. Are and then, of course, everybody likes to talk about being risk prone. Mm-hmm. And in fact, many very successful entrepreneurs are not risk prone. Mm-hmm. They're just very good at calibrating risk. Right, absolutely. Um, so there's definitely a common One time set. the founders of Google, they, they were doing some dangerous sport. And then I said, oh, it seems dangerous for the founder, you know, at this time. And of course, one of them, I can't remember, I can't, I can't distinguish between them anymore. But they were like, it's 3.2.5 likelihood that I will not die of this, and you will in your bath. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to walk slowly out of the room backwards. <laughs> and it was true. Like, But it's what entrepreneurs do, right? Yeah. Day in, day out, they're actually taking calculated bets. Well, everything's math to those people. But yes, yeah. yes, in particular. Yeah. yeah. So this common set of attributes, I think, stands, uh, stands in contrast to what do they um, – you know, what, what differentiates them? Um, and I think you were going down the path of, so how do we actually create more entrepreneurs, right? Because right? I, I think we have is, to. It is the pathway to social progress. I think if you're progress. not entrepreneurial in the future, you're, you're dead, Yeah, and, as far as I can and, tell and, from and, work in the workplace. Yeah, and the question then becomes, do you have to be the founder, mm-hmm. or can you be part right. of an entrepreneurial company right. contributing your own gifts? Right. So, you know, entrepreneurs, are do they have to be extroverted or introverted? 
we think mm-hmm. we've found both types. If you're an introverted person who happens to be particularly artistic, there's a very important role for you in an entrepreneurial company. It may not be to be the founder, but mm-hmm. it might be playing a key value-creating role. Mm-hmm. What what's, about that encur- idea? Yeah, Can in- regular people be entrepreneurs? Yeah, one of, one of the most encouraging things to us, um, the world is filled with what we would call entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, people who are on the sidelines, curious about this, this magic that right. happens when sure. people create something. If I were going to try to differentiate who enters the who enters the process, I think the one thing that it takes is a willingness to take the next step, mm-hmm. whatever your idea, whatever your role is, right. to step into the unknown just a bit, mm-hmm. because that very act of committing to the first step makes it progressively easier to think about what could be done next. And right. usually it is, the risk is not as big as you thought it might have been, or it comes from a different angle that nobody ever thought of. But that willingness to take action, I think, is one of the things. I, that yeah, I, th- I think that's how right. How do you it's, get that? It's what's next and how can I make it just a little bit better? Mm-hmm. So Princeton, which has no uh, business school and is uh, avowedly against having professional programs at mm-hmm. the uh, graduate or undergraduate level, has built out quite an entrepreneurial program. And the reason is, un- is uh, your question underpins the reason, which is entrepreneurship is really a social phenomenon. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a very American phenomenon. The desire to build or create something new or slightly better. And the question then becomes, what role can I play in that? Mm-hmm. Can I be the mathematician who figures out the algorithm but isn't actually the front face? Can mm-hmm. I be the artist who creates a, a better consumer experience or better uh, design? So unleashing the phenomenon of entrepreneurship is what this is all about. And then, as we believe, it's it's really a question of what role. Well, can that be done? Can it be taught? Oh, like, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's more revealed than taught. That's yeah, I'll, 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 ex- on us. I'll not- accept that. I'll accept that amendment. The but the but the, to me the differentiating characteristic is um, your if your focus is on entrepreneurship as opposed to entre the entrepreneur itself, you recognize that people need to see other people like themselves engaged yeah. in the entrepreneurial process that Chris was describing. And if the sole focus is on the person uh, who gets the media attention, et cetera, um, although we have been able, although we have been able to open up at least four doors here. I mean, Mm -hmm. people used to think, I think before before we've done our research, you have to go through one door, and that door has Steve Jobs' picture on it or Elon Musk' picture on it. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. There are at least four different doors with very different personality characteristics associated with each that can build the kind of success that people aspire to. But they are just one of the resources that makes the ultimate success happen. If people can see more of the team aspect of yeah. entrepreneurship, the fact that, that's why I use this entre as the mantra, the, the, if people can see it takes different kinds of functions, different kinds of skill sets, different kinds of styles, in some ways it's kind of coming back to common sense. Nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. Nobody can predict which, what's going to work and what's not. But if you can create an environment in which different perspectives can contribute to a common cause, I, whether I, you're trying to change I'd the like world to, or build a business, you're gonna, your, your chances of success I'd are I'd like to get that idea of team because I think people miss it a lot of the time. I, I remember Steve Jobs once telling me, like, they think I'm Willy Wonka and everybody else is a new Loompa here. But obviously this was a deep team. <laughs> Same thing. Think of Netflix with Reed Hastings. Obviously he's the front man, but – 
boy, does he need that group around him. Very There's, much. And, and more and more so in these super competitive absolutely. markets. Yeah. And, it's, and then when I get sort of, I go down, I sort of boil it down to cohesion among a group of people who are entrepreneurial because Google's a good example, very cohesive group of people. Now, they don't all like each other, I can tell you that. And over the years, they really don't like each other. Same thing with Facebook. Very cohesive group of people who happen to actually like each other. Um, you're, it's a, you're talking about cultural co- cohesion, right? It's entrepreneurial cohesion with each other. It's mm-hmm. like a cohesive group of mm-hmm. team players. Yep, and yep. you don't think of that when you think of entrepreneurism. And one thing that does strike me at Uber is this is a non-cohesive group of people. Like, boy, do they all swim yeah. in different directions but, but almost I th- continually. I think you're also isolating the stages of growth, mm-hmm. right? So in the early days, you have to be out there on the frontier Mm-hmm. You know, innovating, challenging, being disruptive, mm-hmm. but you can't actually do that and scale. Right. So you do that to achieve so there's a, there's escape a velocity. Point, yeah. And then there's a point at which a more mature. Does that ruin a company? Because again, I, I hate to go back to Uber, but a lot of people at Uber like now it's not going to be as good. I'm like, well, it's not very good, right? I mean, it's a good product, and you certainly have achieved growth, but boy, you could just slam it into a wall. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, and, and this this really does beg the question, can the founder's culture be reshaped to scale? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's really uh, the Uber John, question. John, do you th- what do yeah, you think about, th- not just Uber in general, but in general, when is the shift point? Because they all do worry about not having the edge. Like, even the big companies yeah, talk and, about it. And, <laughs> at the end of the day, it seems to me that teams are the fundamental unit of performance in almost any organization at any stage. And the question is, how do you approach teams as the fundamental unit of the culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fascinated by Project Aristotle that you're familiar with at, at mm-hmm. Google, um, in the sense that that Would you explain it. Explain it. But Project Aristotle was a very extensive study that Google did of its high-performing and mediocrely performing teams, um, and it came out uh, with with a number of interesting conclusions. Some of which are kind of common sense, but it's nice to have it backed up by the kind of rigor that that they applied. One of them is that in order to have an effective team, people need to really have time to, to be themselves and, to, and for people on the team to understand them as people first mm-hmm. before, it's, before you're wearing your professional hat. And that takes some openness and it takes some willingness to expand the agenda from the actual work uh, of the team itself. Um, in some ways, as Chris and I have been talking about this in the context of our book, it strikes us that, that you need to approach teams with a philosophy that it's got to be growth, yes, but it has to be growth for both, mm-hmm. both the person on the team and the company. Right. Because once you've been able to tap into that personal motivation, you get a level of commitment, energy, enthusiasm, yep. creativity, and honesty and candor that otherwise you're unlikely to tap. Yeah, I think the best leaders do help the people below them. Yeah, very much so. Um, and and this willing. is what the captain does naturally, yeah. right? Yeah. This is not a taught skill for right. the captain. He or she right. actually leads this right. way. And that's going back to this issue of, of builder fit. We see this fit manifesting itself in who you choose as potentially a co-founder, mm-hmm. uh, because we've all seen examples of chemistry that works. You mentioned SoulCycle. That's a wonderful example. Mm-hmm. They, the, the, the women uh, who founded SoulCycle talk about their first meeting as the bless, the best blind date ever. Yeah, but then uh, one of them broke off, right? I understand, but but yeah. you know how many relationships right. really last over right. over you know decades yeah. and decades. But it's like a uh, there's a there's a there's a, a chemistry that can happen if you're aware of who can complement you ideally uh, as a co-founder. Then the, then it comes to the issue of how do you galvanize a team in the way that we've been talking mm-hmm. about, and how do you align around the right kind of investor who has not just the risk reward profile that matches what you're looking for but actually has the style to be able to leverage what you're good at. That's a really good point, because a lot of investors feel exactly the same. 
How yeah. do you care? Do you do yeah, well, we talk to investors who said it's all about product market fit, and we talk to investors who say it's actually all about the personality of the right. founder. Mm-hmm. And of course, the answer is yes, it's both those things, but mm-hmm. which in each time and each point of the growth cycle. Boy, does that group need a shake-up, don't you think? Yeah, they yeah. Really well, they're par- well, they're partly responsible, right? They're and totally responsible. And have the opportunity to actually ameliorate the condition. Right, right. Well, they operate without any rules, and so therefore they make them up. And then they are super indulgent of bad behavior. It just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a bunch of venture capitals involved uh, with one of the companies I cover, and uh, one of the, they literally said, you know more than we do about what's going on. And I was like, you are such liars, and you're – lazy Ooh. liars you know it was fascinating like and they should they invested i think 120 million dollars so like you're not paying attention you just throw the money like it's like here teenager take <laughs> yeah. the keys to the ferrari in the house right. and then go right. like well, whatever well this Although is i think maybe they're doing that part of me does feel like they <laughs> actually don't know what's happening so when we're finishing up i want to talk just less about what happens to our country a big issue around this election was jobs and how people work and where jobs are going a lot of jobs are going to be replaced in retail, we talk a lot about coal miners, but it really is retail, driving, all kind, lawyers, accountants, all kinds of things are going to be replaced by digital solutions eventually. How do, should we be teaching people to become entrepreneurial, to be, have an innovative spirit? Because I really do firmly believe if you're not entrepreneurial in so many professions, you're really toast. So what are the I key things we have to do to get our... Um, Among them, uh, I think, first of all, you have to create an environment in a classroom in an organization where it is okay to fail because Mm -hmm. on the other side of growth or building a business or innovation uh, is the dance partner, and the dance Mm -hmm. partner more often than not is failure. Um, So you have to create an environment that encourages experimentation where the vocabulary and the culture is about experimenting, is about acknowledging what you don't know. And the only way you can find out what you need to know is to try things Mm -hmm. uh, at a personal level, on a collaborative level, and at an organizational level. Um, Then I think you have to basically, as I was suggesting earlier, give people a sense that people like themselves with the same background, with the same culture, from the same perspective, uh, have been able to do these things before so that they're not thinking they have to be, oh my gosh, I'm the first one of my community or my mm-hmm. ethnic group or my religion or whatever right, it may be. Right, there's a lot of weight on that. That, that, that. that you can actually do it and you can see and take comfort from and, enth- and inspiration from the fact that others have done it before you. And then lastly, I think, uh, or not lastly, because these are all, them. Mm-hmm. the agenda is much longer than this, but uh, I think you have to make it possible for people to take the next step mm-hmm. and to recognize that they may not have the answer for where this thing is ultimately going to go, but to be able to say, hey, I've got an idea. What would happen if? Mm-hmm. And they just take that very first step uh, into the unknown. That, I think, has a lot to do with it. And, and it can happen educationally, but it doesn't have to happen just in the classroom. It also has to happen in why are large corporations struggling for growth? Yeah. Because they substitute complacency and conformity for creativity. Well, they do why, not, why are we doing it this way? Like, yeah. I think the greatest, that's all you ask is why do we do it this yeah. way? Yeah, it's, it's a be, be willing to ask what if and, and why not? Mm-hmm. Chris, yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. On your last point, we've been introduced to a company called Bionic. And they've built a whole platform to actually import the very best innovative styles, cultures, processes, and mm-hmm. thinking from Silicon Valley into large corporations to do exactly. I know they what do that. Would. They have these little tours here. I think they're insane. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can do that. Well, all I the don't VC. Know. I think Andreessen Horowitz does it. 
they drag in someone from PNG and they just sell them. Yeah, well, no, that's sort of an episodic thing. This is much more programmatic. Mm -hmm. And after spending 10 years at Johnson Johnson, I can tell you that product development and other innovations really can borrow from some of the key. Oh, absolutely. And that's 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 really what this is about, I think. And 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 so much going back to where we started. So much of this is technique on how, Mm -hmm. and we think even more on who because each Mm -hmm. who does it how differently. Right. And uh, and that that's 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 going to unleash enormous growth we think inside the corporation. Inside corporations. Yeah. I yes. do yes, absolutely. Yeah. One, so. of the, one of the reasons we were delighted to to be on your show mm-hmm. is is the title of your show because <laughs> because the the word that Chris and I have used in our book is that we think our research has helped to decode this yeah. central mystery yeah. of who drives the growth. Yeah, they always think they for. always think that they can Yeah, and so it. maybe the answer to your we need more entrepreneurship in America is we need to recode it. Mm-hmm. We, oh, I like that. Well done. Just who do you think the greatest entrepreneur right now is, if you had to pick one? In tech. Do tech. Just do tech. The greatest entrepreneur today. Who is that? For me, uh, I think it's Bezos. Jack Ma is uh, is, is close as well. Mm-hmm. But um, like Bezos, imp- Bezos, Bezos impresses me because of the um, uh, not not ruthlessness because it's it's because of the creativity oh he got that the unfettered yeah. the unfettered creativity and willingness to put things together in different ways mm-hmm. so that he keeps the competition off guard um, they never know what what is the core business anymore of Amazon mm-hmm. um, and when you have when you've combined the kind of customer intellect the customer insight and almost intimacy mm-hmm. that Amazon's been able I to agree. establish you have a basis upon which you can use the brand you can use the infrastructure capabilities and you can use the open field vision of the company in order to create value uh, the likes of which I think uh, I agree. the world yeah. and I agree people always say Zuckerberg I'm like no 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 not at all well, not and, all, and not even close. And to self-perpetuated at the culture level, we got the chance to meet the guy who created AWS for mm-hmm. Bezos. Oh, incredible Verner? story. Is it Werner? Incredible. Werner, um, right? And no, it was the the guy the from techie? South Africa. Werner. No. 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 Anyway. Um, but but you know it's it's emblematic of the culture that Bezos created. That he wrote a white paper on this idea of provisioning mm-hmm. uh, massive computing power around the world, mm-hmm. and Bezos said, "Sounds like a great idea." He yeah. Just, no, he, he's got a team there. People don't recognize they've been there forever too. Yeah. That's another cohesive group of people. Yeah. That, but boy, I'll yeah. tell you, if I you if, never heard of them though, I'll tell you that. If, which if is I had, yeah. If, if I had any brand. I would be scared to death of <laughs> any combination of Google, Amazon, mm-hmm. Alibaba, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Those folks are yeah. the great brand destroyers. Mm-hmm. They want to get between you and the folks that you used to think of as your customers. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be a fascinating warfare. Yeah, I would I would say to, more to on Alibaba and the others. I'm. Well, but think about think about what's the glue that ties them to their. They do. I think some of the group. others enjoy their other little things they're doing. Yeah, their I mean, rocket yeah. ships or whatever <laughs> the hell they're interested in. They like everybody their, tri- needs, their trips to the Midwest diversions. to visit cows and stuff like that. Yeah. No, I do, I do. But I think the killer, the, Bezos remains the killer entrepreneur. It seems to me. And Mato, you're right, 100. Anyway. percent Yeah, in a very different way too, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Jack's is, strategy is different. He but. is a trip, too. I really <laughs> enjoy spending time with him. And actually, I think he's coming back to code this year, which will be great. I always enjoy going back. And both of them possibly will. Anyway, uh, Chris and John, it was great talking to both of you. And thanks for coming by. This is a really interesting book. I'm going to say the name again. It is Built for Growth, How Builder Personality Shapes Your Business, Your Team, and Your Ability to Win. And I'm still not taking your test, but you can call me. What am I? But what you do, can take the test at www.builtforgrowth.com. Anybody <laughs> nice. can Get take it in that. there, Chris. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm sorry. Which one do you think I am? Yeah, I am afraid to... You're Go a driver. Ahead. Oh, good heavens. You're yeah. right. I'm a fascist yeah. at yeah. heart. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I say, say fascist. I just said driver. I said it. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I think you should add one called fascist. Um, frequently right, but never in doubt. That's how I like to operate myself. Anyway, if you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews. We've done with Bears in the Streets author Lisa Dickey, Greylock partner Reed Hoffman, and Oracle co-CEO Mark Hurd, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.